So, uh, I mean, we've seen this in a number of states already last couple weeks where it's inching up to an average $5 a gallon, and Pennsylvania just uh, hit that this week. Welcome to Pennsylvania in Focus. I'm Cole McNeely, General Manager of America's Talking Network. If you have not already, we ask you hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to this podcast so you don't miss any new episodes of Pennsylvania in Focus. Now here's your host, Dan McCaleb. Thank you, Cole, and welcome to the Pennsylvania in Focus podcast powered by the Center Square. I'm Dan McCaleb, executive editor of the Center Square Newswire Service. Pennsylvania in Focus is a production of America's Talking Network. You can find all of the Center Square's great podcasts at americastalking.com. We are recording this on Thursday, June 9th. Joining me again today are Anthony Hennon, our Pennsylvania reporter. How are you doing, Anthony? Good, Dan. Good to see you. Good to see you. And also managing editor Alan Wooten, who oversees the Center Square's coverage in Pennsylvania and other U.S. states. Welcome, Alan. Hi, Dan. Hi, Anthony. Hope you guys are doing well today. I'm I'm doing well, except I cannot get over what's happening with gas prices. I know this sounds redundant. We talked about it last week. Can't remember if we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. But oh, yeah, we did. We did. <laughs> <laughs> did we? <laughs> they, won't, they won't stop going up. And this week, uh, Anthony, I saw your report on um, Pennsylvania's average cost of gas uh, hitting that dreaded $5 a gallon threshold. What's going on there? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, we've seen this in a number of states already um, last couple of weeks where it's uh, inching up to an average $5 a gallon. And uh, Pennsylvania just uh, hit that this week. So uh, we're staring at uh, $5.03 a gallon for regular unleaded gasoline. And uh, diesel is up to uh, $6.19. Um, a year ago, it was $3.18 for a gallon of gas and three fifty-four for diesel. So we've seen... Uh, We've seen a big increase there. Um, looking more broadly at the uh, the Philadelphia Consumer Price Index, and that's up 8.4% year over year, um, which is the highest uh, rate that's increased since 1981. So that's been uh, about what 40 years, I believe now. Um, so we're kind of we're getting hit on all sides. Um, energy prices is sort of the the leading thing here. Um, energy prices. For um, for fuel and also for home heating, home use is up 33% from the prior year. Um, when we look at durable goods like cars, appliances, furniture, um, those are up 14%, and grocery prices are up uh, 13%. Um, so it's uh, it's all hitting rising prices, and that's essentially this inflation is making um, real wages fall. Um, where when you're looking at all for private workers. Um, the real value of the average hourly earnings for Pennsylvania payroll workers um, fell by 3.8% in April 2022 um, relative to the previous year, according to a report that came out from uh, the state's independent fiscal office, which does a lot of these sort of nonpartisan um, analyses of uh, financial issues and fiscal issues impacting the state uh, General Assembly. Um when you're looking at that number, uh, trade and transportation workers got hit the worst, where their hourly earnings in real terms fell 6.6% compared to a year ago. Um, construction workers fell 3.2%. Manufacturing workers, uh, their earnings fell by 2%. Um, so a lot of a lot of uh, these price hikes and real wage uh, falls are uh, you know h- hitting hitting the people you know more the working class or people who aren't exactly um, 
comfortable at the moment. So they're getting squeezed on both sides here, uh, which clearly is a shame. Um, you know, this is this has been sort of predicted by some people, um, notably not the Federal Reserve and the uh, Treasury, which was surprised that inflation was not transitory, as they had said about a year ago, I believe it was. Um, on the bright side, though, uh, the Independent Fiscal Office is expecting inflation staying high through 2022, um, about 7 percent. But then in 2023, it'll drop to 4.5 percent and then possibly 2024 leveling off to the uh, targeted rate around 2%. So we're, uh, you know, they're, they're not predicting um, things getting worse and worse and worse, but we're not out of the woods here yet. Yeah, and let me throw a question sort of maybe towards Dan, but also Anthony too. The, so we, we see this happening, and are, are people going to – uh, slow down their spending and they're not going to they're not going to buy as much in, in terms of like, say, maybe retail goods or things like that. And and so then we see possibly a, a domino effect. The employers uh, who have been struggling to get enough workers, maybe the workers they have, they have to let go of them. Do we do we see some kind of a, a loop uh, emerging here just because it, it's you know starting to make a bad cycle as far as things impacting each other? Mm-hmm. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, uh, Alan, yeah, our Washington, D.C. Um, uh, bureau chief, Casey Harper, who's on the America in Focus podcast with you. Download all our great podcasts at americastalking.com. That's my my <clears throat> my plug. Um, uh, Casey Harper um, wrote a story. Um, it was either earlier this week or it was last week um, about um, uh, Americans are, in fact, changing their shopping habits, um, um, whether it be go to uh, buying generic brands over name brands, um, only buying necessities, um, dining out um, uh, significantly less. So this is going to have an impact um, on the overall economy. Yeah. Anthony, did you hear anything from the folks that you were talking to with this story? I mean, uh, are there any early signs of it? Um, as far as employment goes, not quite. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, last week's uh, employment numbers coming in for April were still, you know, decent. Um, there was still growth, but it was a declining growth compared to previous months. Um, I, I think the biggest thing here is you're looking at the independent fiscal office also predicted a uh, 60% chance of uh, they called it a growth recession. So basically stagnation in the economy um, within the next six, 12 months. You look at um, other places like uh, Moody's, um, I think Goldman Sachs, they're, they're much more pessimistic than that. They're expecting a recession to hit. Um, so I, I think it's, it's pretty clear unless there's something very dramatic that everyone is missing that um, the economy is going to be worse in the next six to 12 months than right now. Um, but so far, you know, we're not, we're not at least seeing, um, anticipatory layoffs or anything like that. There's still people are hiring on, um, but it's looking like that the rate of that hiring is slowing down and that's probably going to be the trend looking forward. Yeah. I know, I know some of the people I know that, that work in places like that, they say it's just, you know, they go in and it's just dead. It's just, you know, long days because there's not, not a lot of traffic. So mm-hmm. um, ho- hopefully things will improve and, I'm not sure what the magic bullet is, but um, a lower gas price is definitely one of them. Ever how we get to that? <laughs> and, as, and as Anthony mentioned, um, uh, experts expect things to level off heading into 2023 and um, uh, 2024. My question is, 
But is is leveling off meaning gas prices are going to come down, or are we stuck with five dollar gas going forward? That's not an an a question that I expect anyone to be able to answer at this point. Who knows? Because there's so many different factors um, going into it with with the the, the war in Ukraine um, hampering international um, oil production, uh, President Biden's green energy policies putting more restrictions on the oil gas industry. So many other factors into that. But why don't we um, why don't we move on? Um, but stick with energy, um, Anthony. You also report wrote uh, a, a story this week about a recent dip in natural gas production in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is one of the country's um, largest producers of natural gas. Tell us about this. Yeah. So uh, this is again looking at some of the independent fiscal offices report coming out where they're looking at natural gas production. Um, Compared again, compared year over year um, to the first quarter of 2021, um, we've actually seen a uh, production decline by 0.6 percent in Pennsylvania. Um, th- you know, this is not the uh, this is not the long term trend here. Um, Pennsylvania's natural gas production has just been booming um, for essentially the last decade plus. Um, but this is the annual growth in quarterly production. It, that's the lowest rate we've hit in the last decade. Um, but uh, you know, even even with that recent dip, um, generally since uh, the pandemic hit, um, the industry's been growing. Um, what's interesting here, I mean, the uh, Pennsylvania's share nationwide of natural gas has actually it's been increasing. It's uh, the biggest it's ever been. Um, Texas is the leading state, of course, for natural gas and energy production. Pennsylvania is number two on there. Um, but it's uh, it's not clear what's going to happen the rest of the year. Um, the U.S. Energy Information Agency is kind of tracking these things and um, kind of watching what's happening. Uh, what's interesting, though, is even with you know the price of gasoline going up, um, the price of natural gas itself is h- the highest it's been since uh, 2008, I believe. I think late 2008, um, which is you know. A year ago, it it was around you know two three dollars. Um, now we're looking at eight eight dollars um, in the measurements. So it's it's been a drastic increase, uh, but that doesn't really mean we're going to see a lot of uh, growing production um, right now. Uh, there there's two things kind of playing into this. Um, you know there, there's a, there's a few different um, factors here, but I, I think the biggest things are um, what's known as hedging, which is essentially when um, these companies or minimizing the risk on uh, the price of natural gas because natural gas the price can can fluctuate a lot, be very volatile. So you know they don't want to be uh, making these long term plans for natural gas prices to be you know five dollars, six dollars when in reality they're going to end up at two dollars, three dollars. So they essentially hedge um, their bets, and uh, which is good to kind of smooth out risk, you know, either in high times or in low times. The consequence of that, though, is that it's not going to um, adjust as quickly. So with a lot of uh, these producers um, in Pennsylvania and the Northeast, with them being hedged at prices below the $7 that we're seeing now when they're hedged between $2, $3, uh, even if these producers would uh, jack up production and pull in a lot more natural gas and get it to market, um, they want to actually see more revenue or more profits as a result. Uh so in the short term, there's not actually an incentive here uh, for them to increase production. So I, I don't think we're going to see huge spikes. I mean, we might see an increase one, two percent, maybe a little more than that. But we're not going to see a lot of new um, wells coming online to increase production. Um, 
partially due to hedging, partially due to these long-term prices. You know, if natural gas is not going to stay at seven, eight dollars, um, companies aren't going to ramp up how much they're pulling out of the ground. Um, so that's one issue, and, and hedging isn't uh, as much talked about in the news that I, that I've seen. Um, so I think that's important to point out. Um, the other thing here is pipeline capacity, where um, nationally, you know, it doesn't look like capacity is a big issue. But in Pennsylvania, which focuses on the Marcellus, Marcellus Shale, um, uh, industry advocates are more concerned about um, uh, pipeline capacity here. Um, Dave Callahan, who I talked to, who's the president of the Marcellus Shale Coalition, who promotes more um, you know, uh, natural gas friendly policies. Um, he, he's, he's pointing out to uh, you know, the energy companies here in Pennsylvania are pointing to infrastructure and pipeline capacity as the, the needs that they have um, to make sure that they can get more um, laying more pipe in the ground, building out that infrastructure to be able to bring natural gas um, production to the Northeast, to these ports to uh, send it out. Um, you know, you, you look at areas like Texas where their, um, you know, their, their pipeline capacity is a little bigger. They have a hub down there for um, LNG for liquefied natural gas so they can export it to Europe and react to Europe shifting away from Russian natural gas. Um, as far as Pennsylvania goes, that seems to be a more important issue. Maybe not nationally, but at least regionally. Um, that's one of the complaints here of not actually having the uh, capacity of pipelines to be able to bring out all the uh, production we could be doing. Um, so those seem to be two, two issues that are, uh, that are uh, impacting the price and the production of natural gas. Um, and of course, you know, production will lag behind price changes because it takes time to ramp up um, you know, new oil will new oil wells, um, hiring new people, investing the capital to build these things out. Um, so, you know, if, if natural gas prices stay this high for the next couple of years, I think we'll see more production. Um, but as of now, it's, it's not really cranking up. It's not changing both for these infrastructure issues, but also because it's not actually profitable for these production companies to increase the production in the first place. So when you talk about the capacity and the needs, I mean, are we talking about physically having uh, larger or more pipelines that go out or are we talking about getting more wells in the ground? What are, what are we what are we looking at there as far as needs? Yeah, I, I think I think it, the emphasis is more on the pipelines themselves rather than uh, the production. Um, some of these wells, you know, the, the technology for um, natural gas exploitation is just I mean, changed drastically in the last 10 years. I mean, the, I think the average um, the average new well in 2012 compared to the average well opening now, I mean, they're getting 40, 50% more out of it. It's getting much more efficient. They're better at finding um, finding these deposits. So it's, it's not so much the production side, it's more um, the capacity here. And if we, if, you know, if the economy encourages more production with these high prices, then we'll see a rise in that. But the uh, the bottleneck, as it were, would be in actual physical um, pipelines capacity and where they're being laid. Thank you for that, uh, Anthony. Uh, your knowledge of the U.S. Ener- energy industry it uh, it's pretty impressive. Building every day. <laughs> Moving on, though, um, you noticed a recent trend in state audits of school district spending. Um, that school districts were dinged for, for um, a lack of control over uh, reporting how uh, millions of uh, taxpayer dollars are spent in schools. Tell us about that. 
Yeah, so this uh, this is not a great trend. This is not uh, one that's raising immediate red flags of malfeasance or waste or fraud, um, but it's something to watch. Um, the state, state auditor has put out a few reports recently noting um, school districts, uh, their failure essentially to account for tens of millions of dollars in terms of what they're spending on transportation costs. And the state auditor simply, the, the paper trail, for lack of a better term, isn't there. And so it's uh, all these tens of millions of dollars are, in the auditor's word, unauditable uh, because they simply cannot follow this. Um, this was focused on um, the Allentown City School District, um, looking at the last four years of their transportation reimbursements. Um, essentially, the state um, covers uh, reimbursement costs and in two, two different ways. One way is the general costs for what you would expect um, these public schools to be covering. Um, the, the other way is focused on charter schools or non-traditional schools, basically. So it's, it's not touching on the charter schools. It's just the normal, um, you know, picking the kids up, um, field trips, taking them around um, the district, that sort of thing. Uh, but basically, the auditor noted that um, the Allentown City School District um, did not have adequate internal controls in place um, for uh, tracking um, the number of miles that uh, that the school buses are going, um, the number of students on them, um, all this sort of basic regular transportation data. Um, so over four years, that adds up to eight and a half million dollars in reimbursements that the state simply can't really can't double check or verify. Um, and that makes these reviews um, impossible because, you know, there, there's some rough data here, but it's hard to see where it's coming from, making sure all the ducks are in, in a row, that sort of thing. Um, this comes into play, um, you know, generally for concerns about waste or abuse or anything like that, as we saw in um, Phoenixville School District um, recently, a couple years ago, had a um, scandal where the finance director was taking tens of thousands of dollars out of the school system for his own use. And I believe he's uh, either facing a uh, trial to go um, or he's already been convicted of it. So, you know, the, this is not an abstract concern. There is, you know, long running issues here. Um, so th there's that level of it, but there's also the problem where um, a previous audit in 2016 um, within Allentown School District noticed that it was overpaid by almost $2 million for these transportation reimbursements. Um, so when you look at it, you know, this is a finite pile of cash here. If one school district is getting overpaid, there's the risk of other school districts getting underpaid. Um, so that's a lingering problem in Allentown. Um, Chichester School District, close to the Delaware border, um, also had about $2 million, $2 million in these transportation reimbursements that were unauditable because they're also not, um, you know, fo following proper uh, process and uh, making sure to track all of these reimbursements to make sure they're going where they should be going, uh, make sure the district itself is getting the money it deserves to cover these costs. Um, and it's not just these two uh, districts either. Um, a February press release from the Auditor General noted that uh, five other school districts have similar problems with overpayments, with underpayments, with um, these transportation costs that could not be audited by the state. Um, and just the transportation costs that couldn't be audited between two school districts were coming out to about $11 million. So this seems like a statewide issue that, um, you know, I, I don't know if this is something that the State Department of Education needs to kind of look over and make sure all the districts are training their finance directors properly. So these tax dollars are accountable and we know how these are being spent. 
Um, but, you know, it seems like this is not just a couple isolated incidents. This is happening eastern Pennsylvania, western Pennsylvania. Um, I think it's something that should be more concerning to um, local leaders and state leaders as well. And it looks like uh, I, I would agree with you. It, it, if they have cherry picked in and just found a couple, uh, more than likely there's going to be more. I think one of the other things that um, that you pointed out early in the story, too, was that uh, this much money has not been spent or um, uh, hasn't been used improperly. It's mm-hmm. just this is the total amount that's been uh, used that just can't be accounted for. So probably a whole lot of it is legit, but we don't have any idea of, of knowing how. And mm-hmm. it really is a, a head scratcher as to it's it's just a matter of, you know, I can remember being around schools and a lot of times you get in the school bus or something like that and you got a clipboard and you you jot it down and probably now that's digital on a phone or something, but you, you're just filling out some forms and that's all it is, marking down you know, starting point and getting off and how many folks you got with you. That's it just seems head scratcher. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, I, you know, I, I think it's a problem of sloppiness, but it's, you know, at root, this is an efficiency problem where if the state's funding education, we need to make sure that students are getting, you know, a proper education, that funds are being spent as they should be to make sure these kids, you know, can succeed in life, can stay and live, you know, solid, um, valuable lives in Pennsylvania. And, and especially when we talk about the, the complaints about school funding, you know, not having enough money, um, mm-hmm. you know, you need to take you got to be good stewards of what you have. Yeah, exactly. Anthony, you're just full of good news this week. Uh, moving on to what probably will be our last story. Um, uh, you, you reported on a new report that's out from the Pennsylvania Attorney's General's office. Uh, essentially warning uh, the public about rising overdose deaths, um, particularly from fentanyl. Uh, tell us about that report. Yeah, not to uh, not to make this week's edition of the podcast um, a big downer, but uh, yeah, so it is. Um, yeah, this is a report from the attorney general pointing out um, this isn't nece- this isn't uh, necessarily an emphasis on how many people have died from drug overdoses. Um, the attorney general is focused on ensuring. The public's aware, you know, the uh, there, there's been a shift here in opioids where it's uh, heroin is being displaced by fentanyl. And uh, this is this is important for a few reasons. Um, but one of the uh, one of the biggest reasons here is fentanyl is much more um, much more deadly than heroin even was. So it's much more um, likely to um, cause an overdose death. Um, we're looking at an average of uh, 15 Pennsylvanians are dying every day from a drug overdose. Uh, Pennsylvania it has the third highest number of drug overdoses in the country. Um, in you know 2020, there were 5,178 people who died from a drug overdose. 2021, that jumped up to 5,360. Um, you know, th- this this is a big problem nationally, but this is especially a problem um, in Pennsylvania. And as fentanyl displaces heroin, as far as um, opioids go, um, you know, dr- the drug overdoses are going to get worse. Um, it doesn't look like we've even hit kind of the peak saturation for fentanyl um, in uh, drug markets in the Commonwealth yet. Um, so it's it's probably it's it's going to get worse before it gets better. Honestly, um, this is just such. A large um, issue across the state. Um, we've seen local police departments struggling to recruit more officers, and the officers they do have more and more 
are dealing with drug-related crime, um, I, whether it be violent, whether it be um, these overdose deaths and responding to it, trying to save these people's lives. Um, it hasn't been great. It's, it's probably going to get worse. Um, and I mean, it's, it's gotten to the point where the attorney general's office, you know, they're recommending better enforcement against um, illegal drugs, better ways of detecting and seizing these um, uh uh, the, these piles of drugs. Um, but it's also, it's calling to make, um, more treatment available for people suffering from addiction, but also for lawmakers to consider the costs and benefits of actually legalizing fentanyl test strips and other, um, ways to test drugs where, you know, th- this is, this is basic harm reduction where the problems got to such a point where even state agencies aren't focused on simply enforcement and prohibition. It's focused on, you know, at least allowing drug users to be able to test their drugs to make sure it's what they expect. Um, because the alternative to doing that um, is more more Pennsylvanians dying every year from these drug overdoses. So I, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's a clear sign that this is really hitting um, a serious level across the state that's been building for years. Um, but I'm not sure uh, the public really realizes just how bad it is in Pennsylvania compared to the rest of the United States. How, how does the state, how do you think the state feels like they're doing as far as um, in, in, in that circle of where you, you try to do prevention, you try to do education, you try to have things uh, to help people in recovery, uh, to get out of, uh, you know, to get out of the addiction and that kind of thing. Um, where, where does the state feel like it's at on those fronts? Does it feel like it's maybe behind in one area or, or ahead of the curve in another area? Um. I think it's essentially at a point where they've had so many years experience in dealing with this that they're getting better and better with it. Um, but it's a resource problem at heart. Um, I mean, w- watching the appropriations committee hearings as um, the Senate and the house have been figuring out what the Pennsylvania budget will look like. Um, I mean, you, the, uh, the prisons department, the head guy came in testifying there. And I mean, this Commonwealth's prison system is the largest, um, organized, um, agency for dealing with, with drug addiction and for mental health issues. Um, a lot of this has just been forced on them and they've been left to deal with it. Um, the department of human services has also played a huge role in this, a health department, um, you know, by bare necessity here, um, they've had to figure out how to deal with, you know, um, addicts in recovery or, you know, blocked away or, you know, basically at rock bottom here. Um, and then on top of that, you have police departments who have also had to just get better at this, um, because they had no, no other options here. Um, I, I wouldn't say, uh, any of them are reporting, you know, this is going great. We're finally turning the tide here. Um, but just by virtue of coming in contact with this, noticing the patterns here, um, you know, the beat cop, um, the prison warden, the uh, st- state officials, taxes deal with this. I mean, they, they've definitely they're they're noting what's working or what's not. They're noticing, you know, what uh, what the big needs are here. Um, you know, I, I, I think this shift that we're seeing um, in different agencies. Um, focusing on harm reduction, you know, when when you have essentially the top uh, prosecuting agency in the Commonwealth pushing these sorts of uh, harm reduction things. I, I think this is a sign that, uh, you know, they're, they're, there's, they're running out of options here to actually seize and stop this, even though, I mean, seizures of um, fent- fentanyl, I mean, skyrocketed, 
even in the past couple of years. I mean, it's double. I think it's gone up 40 times um, in 22 in the first three months rather than all of 2021. I mean, you've seen a huge jump in seizure and seizures of these illegal drugs. Um, but, you know, it's not enough. People are still going to get them. And uh, there's more to be done here, not just from a law enforcement perspective. Definitely a story we'll need to keep our eyes on. And thank you, as always, uh, for your insight, Anthony, on what the news in Pennsylvania. But that is all the time we have this week. This has been the Pennsylvania in Focus podcast, part of the America's Talking Network. Find all of the Center Squares podcasts at americastalking.com. For Anthony Hennon and Alan Wooden, I'm Dan McCaleb. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>